Good evening, everybody. This is Ben Gale coming to you off the air from Boston, Massachusetts, soon to be somewhere South Korea. Today, I'm going to be talking about what I'm doing, why I'm doing it, and a little section on becoming a teacher in South Korea for those of you who may want to pursue this career path, but also have a lot of questions and are likely to come into a lot of snags along the way. So this podcast, its main goal is to document my adventures in South Korea, and also the challenges accompanying getting over there, being over there, and just being a teacher in general. There is going to be a website by the next podcast that will have a series of weblogs that expand upon and note the content of my podcast, along with an area where one can ask questions. So if you have any questions towards the process, I can do my best to answer it um, either in a blog post or answer it in a weblog or blog. I plan on doing the blog posts at least weekly, since I imagine I'm going to be coming across a lot of content. The other reason for doing this podcast is to inform people. I've had almost everything go wrong with this process ever since I've started planning it, and I think the information I have could be valuable to some, entertaining to others, and overall, it's just great to have a resource. It's great to have another experience out there for those who are running into every what-if that could happen along the way, and believe you me, I have a fair share of what-ifs. So... Why am I starting in Boston? I finished university in Lowell, and I've been living in Boston for the last couple years, and all of my problems and all of my trials start here. I'm not yet in Korea, though by the time I upload this, I might be, or I'll be taking off soon. More updates on that when the website's up, which I will include the link to, the URL to, in my uh, my next podcast. So I'm going to start with the visa process itself, or rather the things you need to be a teacher in South Korea. There's a small handful of requirements, and they can be very one-sided. The first requirement is that you have a bachelor's degree. It doesn't matter what this degree is in, although, if it's in English, like mine was, you do have more of a preference over people who graduated in engineering or history or other subjects that don't pertain so much to the language arts. My bachelor's degree was focused around creative writing, although I also have done a lot of volunteer English tutoring overseas, and I do have experience with teaching English on a voluntary basis. The second requirement, unfortunately, that's going to give you more preference than others is going to be that you are a native English speaker. This can mean that you come from America, or England, or Australia, or South Africa, and English is your first or primary means of communication. Some schools have preference for American speakers, some have preference for European or African speakers, though the requirements for African speakers, last I checked, were that they needed to have proof that the first seven years of their education were in English. If you do not fit the native English speaking component, there is still a good chance for you to teach English in other places. Moving on with that, you need to have a criminal record check that, or an FBI background check that's clear, as in you haven't had any crimes committed, and you need letters of recommendation, two of them, and you need time. I am in a position where I tried to be very responsible with my time and it worked against me. I'll get into that. 
Starting with the passport, I'm going to tell you about problems that I had with each of these important documents. Being a native speaker, being American, and having a bachelor's degree in English, along with a teaching certificate, which is the other document you need. And then for the documents, you need first a valid passport to get your visa. This seems like the very basic, obvious thing one would need, but sometimes you run into problems with your passport that you just can't quite overcome so easily. I got my passport when I was 16, and it took me until I was 24 years old to realize that my passport had my first name spelled wrong. It was a very small misspelling. It was Benjamin instead of Benjamin, but this led to me not being able to properly get my visa. And when I was offered my job, I only had a few weeks to get everything together to go. Actually, I leave for my job in 20 days, technically, could be less. And I only learned that I had the job less than a week ago. So for your passport, there are a number of things you can do to try to fix your passport. A lot of them seem to take time, but there are ways to rush it. If your name's misspelled, or if it's expired, or there's any problems like that, they tell you that you can send in your application forms, you can wait something along the lines of two months, and when that two-month period is over, you'll get your passport back in the mail and everything's good. But if you're like me or most other people in this process, you are going to need your passport ASAP in order to just get the visa. And one of the big problems you'll also run into with that is maybe your passport's expired, you need to have your passport and everything put together before you can get the visa, and you need to have the visa before you can book your flight. And unless your flight is booked within 14 days, you are completely 100%, usually, in most uh, offices, unable to have your passport fixed in a relatively short time. There are agencies who will offer to fix it for you, but they cost tons of money and are very unnecessary, I thought I was going to be going into this process of fixing my passport ASAP and losing about $500 doing so. Thankfully, it cost me nothing thanks to a few things. So when it said that you had to have a flight within 14 days, I panicked because my flight wasn't going to be till later, but I needed my visa soon. I went out on a limb, did a little research, and I booked a flight to Canada on an airline that gave me enough cancellation time for a refund. <laughs> So I booked that, I wrote my statement, and the next day I went in with a statement that said I'm going to Canada with some friends, I was going to get my visa in Boston before I left, I need to get these things done ASAP, because I'm going to be in Canada for two weeks, and then I'm going to get my flight, and I need my passport as soon as possible. I went in the early morning, only one other person went in there to get a $14 refund for something. And I was very polite. I dressed plainly, but, you know, nicely. Just a button-down, a nice pair of slacks. And they were more than happy to help me. I had to hang around the city for six hours. And then I came back and picked it up. I got my passport in a day because the misspelling wasn't my fault. That was free. I got home. I canceled my flight. In all, the process cost me round-trip bus tickets to Boston or like within Boston on the subway, and that's very negligible compared to what I thought I was going to pay. So it's something to look into. If you need a flight fast, book a bullshit one that you can get fixed as soon as possible. As for the criminal record check or FBI report, this is the second difficult document to obtain, and one way to do it is you can four months in advance, I would say five months before you plan on leaving for Korea, like the second you decide you want to go teach in Korea, start working on this, pay $14 to the FBI, fill out some forms, and mail them out. 
And I did this, and somewhere down the line, I think two and a half, three months in, I had a problem with my card. It got, I had to cancel it, replace it with a new one. And I just assumed that since my letter had probably arrived months ago, that the process, the payment had already processed, I thought I was good to go. Unfortunately, I was not. I had to go to New Orleans to see some family for some personal matters. And when I came back, I had my, my note from the FBI. I was excited. I opened it up. And inside was a letter saying my payment was rejected because my credit card wasn't good. I called up. They told me that I would need to reapply again and it would take four months. So, of course, I'm panicking. I still didn't have a job in Korea. I was going through an agency and I had a time limit, too, because I was going to be losing my house in a few months. My job was kind of on the line just because I was planning on quitting at a certain point. There's no point in staying. All the bad stuff there and after happened after I'd already quit. But before that happened, I couldn't. I didn't have my report. I talked to people. I looked around. There are agencies you can talk to and find where they will rush process your report. It cost me something like 250, maybe, I think it was 250 with the, with the shipping to have it done. And it took like a little over two weeks. It might have been two and a half, three weeks. And I got my criminal background check. The other thing I'm going to say while I'm on the subject, get two copies of everything. Cause if something goes wrong, you'll at least have another copy to work with. The other document that I needed, I needed to get this apostled and I needed to get my diploma notarized and apostled. Notarization's easy. You can do it at most banks, most notary offices. There's definitely one around you. But getting your document apostled can take somewhat up to four weeks. I was under this deadline I'd put myself under, and I just needed to get these documents sent out because the agency I was working with wouldn't even start applying me for jobs until I had all the documents in place. I was freaking out a bit about that because the to send your documents in, and for the U.S., you need to get them apostled in D.C., I couldn't think of what to do. I needed four weeks to get it fixed, and then I found out there are agencies that will also do that. I sent in to get my CELTA certificate, a copy of that, apostled and notarized, but that was unnecessary. I could have just sent like a scanned, signed copy of it or brought it with me. It'll That'll probably, with the shipping, cost you something like 250 I think it's 100 or so for the first document to get notarized and apostled, and then an additional 60 or 80 per document. Then the round trip next day shipping costs something like $30. I sent those documents and a handful of other things, my university transcript, to this office, and then they just couldn't get me a job, especially in time with, with my time constraints. So I wound up going to Dave's ESL Cafe. Great website if you're looking for a job teaching. I found a place that was looking to hire for Epic for the September-October late intake, and I shot for those, and I had a job within two weeks. My documents were already prepared. They were... All the hard-to-get documents were in Korea, and I was worried I was going to have to pay another 200-something dollars to get my backup copies notarized, apostled, and sent out. Thankfully, the... The agency I was going through, they're very nice. They had just a bunch of people just left. They kind of understood things were crazy and they knew I had a job. They mailed my documents out to the new agency and the new guy I was working with. So the last thing I had problems getting were my letters of recommendation. The first one, I mean, the first one wasn't too bad. I had a professor I was friends with. If you're still in school, a university, or if you graduated and you had that one professor you were fond of and you enjoyed their class, I'm sure they'd be more than happy if you called them up and asked for a letter of recommendation. My friend who is a professor, I did, I've done a lot of work for her. We got along great. She was more than happy to write me a letter. 
and that took no time at all and she'd been doing this for a while but then I had my boss who didn't really work close with us write my second letter my guy who's great said it wasn't strong enough so make sure that when you're getting your letter tell them it needs to be a few paragraphs you need some details stating why you're so great you need recommendation, you need a letterhead, and you need a signed copy. If you can, get two. I have two signed copies of my professors. So because this was my boss, and he had, I don't think he'd ever really written a recommendation letter before, that letter was kind of weak. I, re- I appreciated him doing it, and it was a very lovely letter, but I needed a little more substance, and thankfully I was very acquainted with one of my head supervisors who'd been promoted. Long story short, if you're still kind of in the process, see if you can find two people one professor was really good. You could do two professors and one person you volunteered or worked for to some degree who is a much higher ranked than you. You can't do a fellow co-worker like your friend who applied with you who works with you. You couldn't do. I actually got my last recommendation letter signed and given to me tonight. That was stressful, but now I have everything put together to send out. There's more documents, but you can find out about those if you Google around. I'll write about more of it when I have my blog put up. The next step was an interview over Skype. I've done Skype calls before. I do tutoring to Vietnam for students over there over Skype, but I'd never been interviewed over Skype before, and I was nervous because at this point I'd already left my job, my house was was going out in a couple months, and I just didn't know what the future held for me. I, I went into the interview a little nervous, and there were a few things that just really, that I just wasn't prepared for, but I learned and read about before I did the interview. So first, I was in my room the whole day. The interview happened sometime around 10 at night, because that was 11 in the afternoon for them in Korea, and I had to think about things. My room, it's not messy, but it looks like a bedroom. It's not a very professional setting. So I had to turn my computer and monitor and everything around to face my closet door, which is this wooden sliding door. It looks like a very nice neutral background. So I'd say the first thing you want to do is position your computer and your webcam so that you have a very neutral background. Second is dressing professionally. It felt really weird wearing a button-down shirt and tie. I wore my I wore some slacks and nice shoes, and I'd recommend you do too just so you feel more professional about it. I technically could have just sat down in my boxers if I wanted to, but I did not. Other factors you have to think about are arranging the cam or your webcam my webcam, I had a I had a pre-interview with my advisor before the actual interview, and he went over some questions and things I should consider. And I'll go more into things you can expect from an interview in the written blog later on, but I had to think of positioning of the camera, and I also had to think of glare. If you wear glasses, think of not wearing them during the interview, just because the screen glare can totally block out your eyes and it's just unflattering. If you need your glasses to see and it's paramount that you wear them, I would suggest that you spend some time practicing finding a position where your glare won't interrupt you, but you still look like you're staring at the screen. What I did was I arranged everything, I had my guy on the other end helping me out, and when I found that sweet spot, because I'm blind as a bat without my glasses, I put a sticker in that spot. So whenever when I was talking to the guy, it's like, he might have a video on, and that's cool. I'm going to be looking at this sticker the whole time and trying to respond as calmly as possible. Then it got even more nerve-wracking because they are having internet problems in the office. So it was a one-way video call. He had to have his video off. He had it on for a moment. So I saw what he looked like. We made a, an introduction. He seemed nervous too because no interviews are, are not nerve-wracking for at least one, or, one of two people, if not both. 
So he turns off his camera, and it's just me staring at a smiley face sticker I've put on my computer monitor the whole time. And he's asking me questions, and part of me's trying not to laugh looking at this. And it, it felt oddly impersonal, because on one hand, it was like a phone call where we could hear each other, but on the other, I was being presented video and all on the other side, wearing my suit and tie, sitting in my bedroom. Be prepared to encounter questions that might throw you off guard. For instance, one thing I had to write for the EPIC application, the teaching application, I had to write a lesson plan. And he asked me questions like, what if this goes wrong? What if they want more time with this? What if they want less time? I wasn't sure, but I had a sneaking suspicion that there might be questions about it. And one of the great things, if you have this skill, you will probably do very well teaching over there is being able to adapt on the fly. What I learned from trying to teach and write lesson plans in CELTA was that I just, I was nervous in front of people, I would ramble. If something went wrong, I would panic and keep screwing it up and trying to push forward. But it's perfectly okay to adjust your lesson plan. It's even expected to be able to make adjustments on the fly. Sometimes a game that you planned just isn't going to work, and what you're going to have to do is find a way to end this game calmly and move into another activity. People uh, also suggest having a bag of tricks, as teachers call it, or things you can do in case one thing goes wrong. You have another thing the students will like. I don't have a bag of tricks quite yet. I have one, and it's a word game for uh, more advanced students. wouldn't work on kids. So thinking of things like that are also going to help. Just be prepared. That's all I have to say about that. Well, I've been rambling on for a little while. In my next lesson, I'm going to talk about arriving and the visa itself, assuming that I've arrived in Korea by then. I will also talk more about my website, where you can read up on additional information, ask questions, and also see some bonus content that I'm going to be putting on there. For now, I hope that you keep listening, and I will be happy to hear from you. Good night and goodbye, listeners. Take care. Thank you for listening to this segment of Teaching in Korea. If you enjoyed it, leave a review or drop me a line at galestudio.com. That's G-A-L-E studio.com, where you can also find show notes and expanded content. This is Ben Gale. I'll be seeing you.